0: And for those of you who don't know, this is my good friend and brother, Daryl Tracy. He's married to that wonderful Carol Tracy back there, and we appreciate this couple. They do a lot for us. Uh, Daryl serves in, as the leader of our Touch Points ministry. We just did a, uh, another Touch Points. We haven't made a big deal out of it. It's kind of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing but we just did another touch point at Heritage Elementary uh, over Christmas and bless those teachers down there. So thank you, Daryl, for all that you do in so many areas. And uh, let me pray for you one more time okay. as you come to right. to preach. Father, we thank you for Daryl and Carol Tracy. Thank you for the divine presence of God we sense and know in them. Uh, thank you for Daryl's gift of preaching and studying the Word and being able to break this out for us today, uh, I pray that as he serves it up, we will have ears to hear, hearts to receive, that you would do uh, wondrous things through us and let your Word not return void as you promised it would do. And uh, we would see Jesus in Daryl today, and I know that's what he would want most of all. So I pray for now for a double portion of anointing on him as he comes to preach. In Jesus' name, everybody say Amen. All right. Show a little love to him, too. Can you give him a little applause? Good. Am I on? Okay.
1: Couldn't see the light on that thing. So. Well, uh, you know, this is the last day of 2023. And uh, often when we're going to a new year, we try to set some goals and things. And uh, that's very, a very good practice, and I recommend you do it. But sometimes the holidays kind of get us a little out of out of our routines and out kind of get chaotic. So something I try to do at the beginning of the year is I kind of try to recalibrate, get back to basics. So the title I I recently uh, was listening to a fellow on a podcast or something I don't don't really recall where, but he he said that uh, the author. Uh, the book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, indicated one important concept was to keep the main thing the main thing. So that's, that's what I'm going to talk about today, keeping the main thing as the main thing. In other words, don't let all of these distractions and this chaos in the world get you off, uh, off base, off where you need to be going. I'm essentially going to cover two areas that help keep us grounded and on track with the Lord, and I'm not saying these are the only two things necessary, I'm just saying that they're two very important keys. So uh, with that being said, let me let me say a little prayer and then we'll go forward. Father, we do thank you for your word, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ, we thank you for uh, the opportunity, Lord, to come together as the body of Christ, to in your presence, to hear your word proclaimed, and we just pray that it would uh, fall on good ground today and it would bring forth good fruit for your glory and for your honor. We do it, pray in Jesus' name. So my text for today is a very familiar scripture, if you've been in the Lord very long. It's found in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. And I'll be reading those from the New King James Version. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left; remove your foot from evil. And I, I take a lot of this, the at least the introductory part of this lesson from uh, from a, some some readings I found on a Bible app of Gateway Bible Lab. They said that this uh, there was a book called Move What 1,000 Churches reveal about spiritual growth. And these authors did some research. They, they, uh, they interviewed or took, took a poll of 250,000 people. I guess they gave them some questions. 250,000 people at 1,000 different churches. They studied uh, 50 different factors that impact spiritual growth. They defined spiritual growth as loving God and loving others. This study found that nothing had a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. So if churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual growth mature in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. The Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. The Bible's power to advance spiritual growth is unrivaled by anything else we've discovered. So that was some of their comments. And they, they kind of use this term, uh, scriptural engagement. To encounter the words of Scripture is to encounter God in action. Every time we come to the Bible, we can meet and know God. Engaging the Bible is a relational process. The primary means by which God can engage the believer. When it comes down to it, having a deep, meaningful relationship with God is what we want in life. It's what we were created for. J.I. Packer wrote a book about knowing God. In it, I think he says, The chief aim of knowing God, is, or the chief aim of man, excuse me, is to know God and to make Him known. Now the reason Jesus came and suffered a horrible death on the cross was so that we could have eternal life. So what is this eternal life that Jesus gives? Well, He tells us Himself in His when He in His prayer in John chapter seventeen, which is the last prayer, recorded prayer that well, it's the next to last recorded prayer before He went to the cross the, the last one was obviously not my will but thine be done but <clears throat> as part of this prayer in john 17 he said this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent so what's the best thing in life it's to know god the, and the bible is the means by which we get to encounter god we get to know him and enjoy him and fulfill our purpose in life so by reading God's writ- written word, we get to know His living word, and the living word is Jesus Himself. I know when I'm reading or studying Scripture, something jump off the page at me, or I get a new revelation. It's a it's a great revela. It's brings great joy to me, and it's just a way of relating and communing with with the Lord. It brings great pleasure to think that He would specifically uh, reveal something to me or speak to my heart. You know, I mean, there's 8 billion people on the planet, but somehow he's talking to me specifically, and he'll do that with you as well. And it can be a special moment and a special time when God opens the, the Scriptures up to you. Now, like I said, most of this concept is taken from the Bible Gateway app, and it has to do with the word engagement. Scripture, engagement. Now, when I think of engagement, one thing I think about is, uh, is marriage. You know, you, most people get engaged before they get married. So they engage one another. Well, as far as my current bride, I can tell you how ours, how ours went. Uh, we, we met right here in this room right here right where we're all sitting. So one Wednesday night after church, I said, would you like to go to Shoney's and get a piece of pie? And uh, so we did. We went to Shoney's and got a piece of pie and had some good conversation. It went really well. At least I thought it did. (laughs) (laughs) So the next night, uh, I I thought, well, I'm just going to call her. I just wanted to call her, really, so... So I did, I called her, and I made up some reason why I called, you know, I don't remember what I told her, but at the end I came, came, came clean, I said, you know, I really just called because I wanted to talk to you some more. And from that point on, for about the next 11 months, I would say that we talked almost every night, probably at least 95% of them, a lot of them I ate dinner at her house, but, uh but, so we got to know each other real well. My, my initial reason was just to get to know her. But as I got to know her, our hearts connected. And, and the rest is history, as they say. What's it been? Twenty-nine, going to be thirty years this year. But anyway, my point is, uh, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. He, he, he pursues us, God pursues us by His Spirit, come to him and have communion, have conversation, have fellowship, just like Carol and I did. And he wants us to to be in a relationship with him. So the best way to accomplish this is obviously through this book right here. Because it has his words, it has his thoughts, it tells you who he is, it tells you how he is, and it tells you what he will do, what he won't do. And that's how we get to know Him, is through giving our attention to this Word and inclining our ear to His sayings. Now it gives us some, the Bible gives us some ways to approach God and His Word. It uses words that like meditate, reflect, look intently, dwell, ponder, consider, and even eat His Word. Now, you know, we can't talk about all those today. But basically, I'm going to to take the first one and the last one, meditate and eat. And we're going to talk about those, those two ways. So, the first scripture I want to read here with the word meditate is found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. And I'll read one more, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I think the next verse says something like, He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. So I think both of those places, you see, if we'll meditate in His Word, we'll be prosperous, we'll be successful, we'll bring forth good fruit. The Bible contains 23 occurrences of some translation of meditate. We're told to meditate on His actions, His laws, and His testimonies. All that's found in His Word. Now, the concept of meditation has kind of gotten a bad rap, I think, in some Christian circles, and that's primarily because uh, it's 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 used in Eastern religions such as Hinduism or Buddhism, and neither one of these systems acknowledge God as Father nor Jesus Christ as Lord. So this association leads many to think that meditation in any form opens the mind opens the mind to evil spirits and untrue teaching. But that robs us of an important way of interacting with Scripture. Uh, Let's look at some things Bible meditation is not. It's not sitting with an empty mind. It's not mindlessly repeating a single word or phrase to gain some sort of altered state. It's not burning candles or sitting calmly on a rug or listening to sonorous music and it's not practicing yoga. <laughs> so those are some things that it's not, you know, and, and and literally if you if you do that, if you do sit with an empty mind and, and mindlessly do things, you do open the door for evil. So we don't that's not the, that's not biblical meditation. Let's look at what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is focusing on God through contemplation of His Word or quieting our hearts with Scripture and a deeper intimacy with Jesus. So in biblical meditation, you always involve the Bible and, and the Lord. So... One biblical meditative practice is sitting quietly, thinking over a passage piece by piece, breaking it apart, dwelling on each word and each phrase of the Scripture. I had an, I went to Bible school for uh, two years out at uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I had one teacher who he, he taught us a little method that he used. And basically, it, it's what they just said, going over a passage piece by piece. I'll just give you a little illustration here. We're gonna talk. We're gonna meditate on the Lord as my shepherd, and so what he would say, he said, the, "The Lord is my shepherd." The Lord is my shepherd. 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 And what what that does? See, then each word takes takes on a meaning. The means. It's not any lord, it's not some lord, it's the Lord. And he's the Lord. The Lord the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, the God of the universe. We're not not any uh the president's not my shepherd, the mayor's not my shepherd. Uh Dave he just stepped out, okay. <laughs> you know, Carol's not my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. And he is my shepherd he didn't used to be, he's not going to be, he is today my shepherd. And he's my shepherd. Now he can be your shepherd too, but he's, a, he's my shepherd. That's, that's the meditation. And then shepherd, obviously he leads me, he guides me, he helps me, he keeps me safe. So that's just uh, just a little illustration of, of one way to meditate. It's not the only way. I've done some meditation, a couple of phrases I've meditated on in the last few days. One of them is, uh, let me me see if I can pull them up, Uh, the seal. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's put his seal on me. And that's the guarantee of of who he is. I've been sealed. Another one was the unity of the body, you know. uh, I forget that one. Exactly. There's, there's a whole phrase, unity of the body of Christ. So it's something we can practice, and, and it'll open up the Scriptures to you and, and teach you certain things that you wouldn't otherwise get. Now, when we do our daily Bible reading, we're acknowledging and strengthening our communion with God. In their regard, our daily reading and Scripture meditation are the same. Bible study and Bible meditation are similar in that they are meant to take a lingering look into specific aspects of scripture. So, you know, Bible study, Bible reading, and Bible meditation, they're not you don't just pick one and do it. They all you do them all and they're they complement one another. Uh I'll read this scripture. Psalms one nineteen fourteen through 16. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So let's move on to the word eat now. And I'll read a couple of scriptures here. Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. So we see here, Jeremiah ate the words that that God gave him. Job chapter 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I particularly like the Scripture reference in, in the book of Job here. You know, Job is thought to be the oldest book in the Bible. This would likely mean that he didn't have any written Scripture, because if, he's, if he predates Moses, he only had words which he received in his heart as he fellowship with God. Now, obviously, he had an exceptional relationship with God, because when Satan came to heaven... God pointed him out and said, well, have you considered my servant Job? So, you know, they, God knew Job well, and they, they obviously had fellowship. For some reason, which I don't know the reason, Satan was given permission to attack Job. And, but, it, and you know, we it was a pretty, <laughs> pretty major attack. You know, he lost all his property. He lost his whole family except for his wife. Uh, he got sick and had boils all over his body, and this, and then he had these friends, friends <laughs> come and try to try to reason with him. Cause it was all because of his sin in his life, and uh, you know I don't know that we ever understand the reason. In the in the in the end, I think you know God just said, "Hey, I'm God, and you're not. You're not, and uh, your righteousness is not going to cut it." You need my righteousness, I think, is is kind of the message of the book. But Job, you know, so that went on for nine months. You know, Job, in the end, he came out with more than he had in the first place. So I have to think that the reason for his overcoming was because he treasured the words of the Lord's mouth of greater importance than his necessary food. Now, we have a distinct advantage over Job because we got a compilation of 66 books that are God-breathed and inspired to use for fellowship with God. So we need to take advantage and partake of the Word of God so that we can be overcomers. And we also have the words of Jesus to confirm this. When he'd fasted for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry, and the devil came to him and said, well, if you're the Son of God, why don't you just turn that stone into a piece of bread? And Jesus responded with a scripture from Deuteronomy 8, 3. So Jesus knew the Scriptures, right? He, he had them. He, he knew them well. He, in essence, he was the author of them, but I guess in his humanness he had just learned them. So, But he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus is saying that man needs God's Word to nourish his spirit just like he needs natural food to nourish his body. Now, another example of Jesus using the metaphor of eating the Word of God is found in John chapter 6. The setting in this chapter is that on the previous day, Jesus had fed 5,000 people, men, 5,000 men, plus how many women and children were there, with fishes and loaves, five fishes and two loaves, from a little boy's lunch. And afterwards, after this, you know, I guess... They needed to do something, so the disciples got in a boat, went across the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum, and then later that night is the story where Jesus came walking on the water, and he he went over there with him. So when the crowds caught up with Jesus the next day, they they wanted to know how and when he got there, and he said, "You're just seeking me, not because of the signs I did, not because of the real." things I preached to you, but because of the bread that I gave out. So they were interested in physical food rather than f- spiritual food. So then they entered into a long debate, If you need to read the whole chapter if you want to get the fullness of it, about the manna that, that God sent down from heaven when, uh, when the Israelites were going from Egypt into the, toward the promised land. Eventually they got there 40 years later, but, but the manna came every night and every day. But Jesus told them that manna didn't come from Moses, it came from God. And he he went on to make the claim that he was the bread of life. He was the living bread. And he said this in John chapter 6, verse 54 and 55. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. You now, this, you know, caused a little confusion, actually. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get it. You know, the Bible's kind of like that. That's, uh, I heard um, uh, Robert Morse at Gateway, he, he said the Bible's a spiritual book, and so you can't look at it in the physical realm always. It's a spiritual book. And this, you know, Jesus was not telling these people to literally eat his flesh and drink his blood. Uh, If you keep on reading, down here in verse 63, he says this. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus is saying that his words are spiritual food and eternal life. He's not talking about eating his body. He's not talking about drinking his blood. He's talking about spiritually partaking of him and his word, through his word. And that's how we partake of who Jesus is. It's through His words. You know, the words of Scripture, you can find metaphors where they're referred to as milk for newborn babes, as sweeter than honey, and as meat for mature believers. All of these are references to something which is eaten. Now, I have another little personal illustration here that kind of combines these eating and meditating. (laughs) At our house... Carol and I have two very different eating styles. Once you uh, fix the dinner, get it on your get it on the table, ready for dinner. Say the blessing. You know, then you, you know we'll take off and get started and get eaten. Well, usually uh, the kind of the way it goes is I'm pretty much done before she gets started, real good. And uh, but she takes her time. She, she puts her spices and she puts her sauces sauces and whatever else she might, extra she might have to put on top of everything. And she eats real slow, real slow, and seems to enjoy and savor the meal. The point is, you know, I'm trying to make is it's good to read your Bible and things, but you need to mull over and consider every word, every phrase, and, and use her method. Take your time. And mull over the Scriptures, uh, reflect on them, enjoy this time of communion and fellowship with the Lord when you're reading His Word. So the first key then is to to attend to His Word, incline your ear to His sayings. The second key I want to talk about today is found in verse 23. You know, you could take any one of these verses and come up with some stuff, but... Uh, If you do verse 23, 24 through 27 will kind of be the fruit that follows. So verse 23 said, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now the word keep in Hebrew is N-A-T-S-A-R, And according to Strong's Concordance, it means to guard, to protect, and to obey. So to guard and protect our heart, we should keep it away from evil. To maintain our heart is to keep keep it healthy by feeding it with spiritual food. To obey our heart is to walk in obedience to that inner voice that gives you a check about an activity or a decision in your life. The Pharisees were asking Jesus about this one day. They didn't, they didn't know why that uh, the disciples didn't observe their tradition of washing their hands before they eat. So here's what he said in Matthew 15, verse 17 through 19. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. So this scripture gives us a clear reason for the need to protect, maintain, and obey our hearts. I want to look at two, uh, two biblical examples of this. First example is Samson. Now Samson is one of those biblical characters who uh, his mother was barren, but then a man of God came to her, actually an angel came to her, and they, she and her husband, who his name was Manoah, received a blessing uh, that, of this son. But as part of that blessing, they were instructed that their son was to be a Nazarite. And basically, a Nazarite meant that they were consecrated to the Lord. And there were three uh, outward observances that were necessary for, to, for a person to remain a Nazarite. They were to abstain from wine and all other grape products. They were refrained from eating, from cutting their hair, and they shouldn't become ritually impure by contact with corpses, even those of family members. So Samson lived by these vows and served as a judge over Israel for 20 years. And in Judges chapters 13 through 16, we see that he had a weakness, and it primarily was his desire for female companionship. So in that area, he did not guard his heart, but yielded to his flesh. Samson fell in love with uh, a Philistine lady named Delilah. And the, she was, uh, it's believed, at least some, some references I read says she was a prostitute. I don't know that, but the Bible didn't say that clearly, but you could, you could see that it's inferred somewhat. So after Samson falls in love with her and they're cohabitating and what have you, uh, the lords of the Philistines, they come to her and they entice her to find out where his great strength lies. And if if she would, they'd pay her a large sum of money. So she sets about to do that and three times she sort of... Samson basically tells her something other than the truth about where his strength lies. And then let's read Judges 16, 15 through 17 and see what happens here. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have told, not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So I mainly want you to see there that he told her all his heart. He bared his heart to her. He didn't guard it. He didn't protect it. What happened to Samson? The devil wore him down. You know, the devil knows where our weaknesses are, and he will attack us in those areas. So we need we need to keep our guard up at all times. So Samson let his need for female companionship become greater than his consecration to the Lord. So I'm sure most of you know he paid a heavy price for this. The Philistines gouged his eyes out, and then they put him in prison, put him on this millstone, and he just... And he was blind; he couldn't do anything. They mocked him, and he so he went around this millstone for years, just milling uh, grain, I suppose. But in the end, he did have one final victory. One day, after his hair had grown back out, he was. Uh, they brought him into this uh, big party they were having with all the dignitaries of the Philistines, and he he got. I guess to make fun of him and to mock him, but he asked the boy who was going to position him there, said, put me between the two main pillars of this this temple here. They put him there and he pushed those down. He prayed God for strength for one more time and he pushed those pillars down and he killed 3,000 Philistines that day, which was more than he'd killed in his uh, entire 20 years as a judge over Israel. Now in reality... Samson's strength didn't come from his long hair. It came from his heart and his consecration to God. You know, you don't, uh, he he had previously had a day where he'd gone out and killed a thousand Philistines with the the jawbone of a donkey. You don't kill a thousand, I don't care how good a shape you're in or how toned your body is, you don't kill a thousand people with natural human strength. That was an anointing from God. That was a supernatural empowerment because of his consecration to the Lord. So that that's how he did that. So it wasn't really his hair that did it, it was his heart and not guarding his heart was what took him down. And let's look at another young Israelite, pretty familiar person. His name is Daniel. Daniel lived in Israel during the time that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, conquered them. And so Nebuchadnezzar instructed the chief of the eunuchs to select some of the healthiest and brightest young men in Israel to come and serve in his court, in his palace. And those men who were selected, they were going to be familiarized with Babylonian culture and and receive educational opportunities. In addition, they would receive three years of training and a daily provision of the king's delicacies and wine. What was Daniel's response to this opportunity? Well, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs, so Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. One little side note here for you know this is this is uh, a little bit of a touchy subject, but uh, the Nazarites didn't drink any wine or grape products, and and Daniel, in the end, is going to choose not to drink the wine or the grape products. So for those of us who are teetotalers, that's a good, pretty good confirmation, isn't it? <laughs> These two guys were consecrated. Uh, the Well, I'll just let it go with that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just best don't mess around with stuff and then you won't get pulled into it. So, But anyway. Okay, so what was the result of Daniel's decision to not defile himself? Well, most of you probably know the outcome. Daniel requested he and his three friends Be allowed to have a diet of vegetables to eat and water to drink for 10 days. How many up for that? All vegetables and water. No, no delicacies, no wine, no anything. So that would do us all good, I think. I know it would do me good. Let me just say that. At the end of these days, they were compared to those eating the king's delicacies and drinking wine, and their appearance exceeded the others. They stayed on this diet and finished their training, and then had to go before the king for an interview with the following result. Daniel chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I think that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after they changed their names. Therefore they served the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all this realm. Now the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is that Daniel's lifestyle continued to be such that he maintained a pure heart of obedience and service to the Lord. A few years later, a new king named Darius, under a new king named Darius, Daniel had risen to the top of the advisors in in the king's court. But some of his advisors became jealous of Daniel, so they came up with a scheme for his downfall. They suggested to the king Darius to make a decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And I guess the king, you know, he thought, well, that's great, man. Yeah, I'm the main, main guy around here. So. so he said, sure, guys, go ahead and do that. So Daniel knew about this decree, but it didn't deter him from going to his room, kneeling down before an open window toward Jerusalem and praying three times each day as was his custom. The king's other advisors blew the whistle on Daniel. The king was very sorry this had happened, tried to free Daniel from this sentence, but in the end, reluctantly, he had to honor his decree and threw Daniel into the lion's den. Once again, God honored Daniel's heart to maintain his heart for the Lord and delivered him from the lions. The king then sentenced the accused advisors to the lion's den where they were all killed with their families. And then, even beyond that, the king wrote this decree found in Daniel six twenty-five through 27 Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. That's good news. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. So we see all three principles of keeping your heart in these examples. Samson didn't maintain his level of consecration, thereby allowing himself to be weakened to the point where he told Delilah all his heart and suffered severe consequences. Daniel kept his heart pure to the level that he only ate the prescribed diet. He also maintained his heart with a daily prayer life. He obeyed his heart regardless of potential consequences. Through the favor of God, Daniel became one of the top four men in the Babylonian Empire. Two quotes I found that kind of relate to this subject of keeping your heart. The first one is, uh, when you choose what to watch or read, you are choosing what your future and thoughts, you are choosing your future, your thoughts, and your perspectives. Only consume what you would like to become. The second one is, When a man can't find a deep sense of meaning, meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. So we need to keep our focus on the Lord, keep our, our meaning of our life is to serve Him, to know Him, to make Him known, and to be careful about what we watch on that television, what we look at on these phones, what we read, all those things. Ephesians 4.27 says, Neither give place to the devil. In context, it's primarily talking about anger. Uh, the, verse is, the verses before it lead up to that. But I would say don't give the devil any place or any opportunity to influence you in any situation. If we won't give him a place, he won't have a place. James 4.7 Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is good advice for guarding your heart. Submission to God is the first step. However, as long as you're in this world, just know this, you're also going to have to resist the devil. Okay. So we need to maintain our focus and diligence to guard our hearts from the enemy and his tactics. i like the praise team and the altar ministry folks to come on up. So why should we attend to the Word of God and incline our ear to His sayings? I I looked up a few metaphors. The Bible is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is truth. It's a fire to refine. It's a hammer to convict. It's a mirror to reflect. It's water to cleanse. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's medicine for our mind and our flesh. It's comfort for our hearts. It's food for our spirit. The Word of God will provide advantages and benefits, teach you what truth is, convict you of wrong attitudes and actions in your life. It'll restore you to an upright state, it'll instruct you in right living and right actions. It is a seed which will multiply 30, 60, and 100 fold. It teaches us who God is. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. So how about our heart? Just to make sure we're clear, I'm not talking about this heart right here in our chest. I'm talking about your spirit or your inner man. The verse about this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it bring the issues of life. We must guard, maintain, and obey our heart. It's the organ which controls all of our activities. It's the command center of human life. From it go out all the orders which the body carries out, whether good or evil. If the heart is right, the body will do right. Let's make this year of God's Word and His Spirit. Nothing is more important to pursue and embrace this year than intimacy with the Word and communion with the Holy Spirit. We do this by attending to His Word, inclining our ears to His sayings, keeping our hearts with all diligence. So let's keep the main things as the main things. Now I know most of you folks, but I don't want to close without offering an opportunity for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus. This can be your day. 2024, if you don't know Jesus... If you come to know Him today, 2024 will be a much better year for you. The way we get to know Jesus is, first off, we have to uh, admit that we're a sinner, that we need a Savior. We have to be repent of our sins, ask God to forgive us our sins. And then we have to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was born of a virgin, that He came to this world, lived 33 years, And offered Himself up on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And shed His blood so that we could could be forgiven. So we we repent of our sins. We ask Jesus to come into our hearts and make Him our Savior. So I I offer that invitation to you today. All who are here and any who might be watching online. There's a number there that you can call to uh, have someone pray with you. So... As we sing this last song, if if anything I've said, if you want prayer for anything about anything I've said, or if you want prayer for salvation, we have these folks right here and right here to pray with you. And I'll be right down here. So.
2: Christ is my firm foundation